How bad was it? No one spoke. Prithwish kept his head down over a tray of plastic tubes, eyes almost level with the avocado plant he'd grown from seed. My most successful experiment, he often said ruefully. Robin ducked out to look up and down the hall, then brushed past Fung as she hurried back inside. The black and white clock on the wall was ticking past three, but like the clocks in grade school, this one was always slow. Natalia glared at Aiden as if to say, I went downstairs last time. It's really your turn now. But Aiden turned airily away. It might have been funny, but no one joked at the text pantomime. Cliff! Suddenly, Marion Mendelssohn was standing in the doorway. She stood there, fearsome, implacable, dark eyes glowering. Could we have a word with you? Cliff smiled tightly and shrugged, a desperate little show of nonchalance. The others looked everywhere else as their lab director led Cliff away to the office she shared with Sandy Glass. Cliff's cheeks were already burning as he followed Marion down the corridor. At six foot three, he was more than a foot taller than Marion. Still, he was entirely in her power, and he dreaded what she and Glass were about to say. For years, he'd been developing a variant of respiratory syncytial virus and had dreamed of using his modified RSV to transform cancer cells into normal cells. His experiments were not working. Sandy and Marion had ordered him to give them up, and he had disobeyed. The door closed behind him, and Cliff was standing in the tight, cluttered office. Now, Cliff, said Glass, did we or did we not have a discussion about your continuing trials with RSV? Cliff stood silent. Maybe you don't remember our conversation, said Glass, smiling. Cliff did remember, and he knew better than to smile back. Always cheerful, Brimming with the irrepressible joy of his own intelligence, Sandy Glass smiled most when he was angry. I said you had to stop using RSV, Sandy reminded Cliff. You said you understood. Cliff nodded. We established RSV has some effect in vitro, Glass said. Congratulations, you're on your way to curing cancer in a Petri dish, but what have we established when we try injecting RSV into living mice? Cliff looked away. You've established nothing. You injected 56 mice with RSV, with no effect on tumors whatsoever. Therefore, Marion and I asked you to stop. We asked you nicely to move on. What did you do next? I tried again, Cliff said, staring down at the floor. Yes, you did. You tried again. I'm sorry. Sandy ignored this. We told you to stop wasting resources on RSV. I didn't want to give up, Cliff said. Look, I realize RSV was your baby, Sandy said. I realize this was two years' work developing the virus. Two and a half years, Cliff amended silently. 
We understand you put your heart and soul into this project. Sandy glanced at Marion, who looked anything but understanding. The point is, RSV does not work. And now, yet another set of experiments, against all advice, against our specific instructions. What were you thinking, Cliff? Don't say anything. Perseverance can be a valuable trait, particularly when you're right. But we see now that this third trial is showing every sign of failing spectacularly. No, don't apologize. Just tell us what you were thinking. Tell us your thoughts, because we really want to know. Why had he tried twice more with the virus after it had failed? They were expecting an answer, but Cliff could not speak. The truth shamed him. It was so simple. He could not bear to jettison work that had taken so much time. The hours, the thousands of hours he'd spent, sickened him. How could he confess to that? The scientific method was precise and calibrated, a scientist was, by definition, impassive. He cut his losses and moved on to something else. He was exhausted, perhaps, but never defiant with exhaustion. A scientist did not allow emotion to govern his experiments. And yet, Cliff had been emotional and unrealistic about his work. He had behaved unprofessionally, taking his long shot again and yet again, how could he explain that? There was only one reasonable explanation. He was not a scientist. This was what Mendelssohn and Glass were driving at. Did we or did we not agree, said Glass, that you would end the wholesale extermination of our lab animals? We don't have the money, said Mendelssohn, and she didn't mean funds for the mice themselves, which cost about $15 each, but the money for the infinite care the delicate animals required. You'll recall we asked you to work with Robin. She could still use another pair of hands, Glass said, and Cliff hated him for that and for the patronizing, slightly prurient tone in Glass's voice. I deserve my own project. Cliff said, raising his eyes. There is no such thing as your own project in this lab, Mendelssohn declared. Look, this is a team, Glass said, and you need to pull your weight, not drag everyone else down with your personal flights of fancy. Down the hall, in the lab, the others gathered like near relations at a funeral. They wouldn't fire him. Prithwish said loyally. He was Cliff's roommate, after all. They will not fire him, Fung agreed. Natalia thought about this. My feeling is Mendelssohn would not, but Glass would. She was Russian and had been a doctor herself before coming to America. Natalia had never taken to Glass. They'll be arguing then, said Prithwish. They'll let him stay, Aidan predicted and make him so miserable he'll leave by himself. He was miserable before, Prithwish pointed out, but the others hushed him. Cliff was coming back down the corridor. Instantly, his friends scattered, vanishing into the clutter of glassware and instruments like rabbits in the brush. All but Robin, 
who pulled at Cliff's sleeve. Silently, they slipped into the adjoining stockroom, the lab's poisonous pharmacological pantry. She closed the door behind her. Are you all right? His cheeks were flushed, his eyes unusually bright. I'm fine. She drew closer, but he turned away. What are you going to do? I don't know, he said. They've already tried to pawn me off on you. They suggested that you work with me? Six months ago, but I said no. She was surprised and hurt. You never told me that. What was the point? I didn't want to work on your stuff. She folded her arms. What's wrong with my stuff? Nothing, he lied. She had spent five years working on what had once been considered a dazzling project, an analysis of frozen samples of blood collected over the years from cancer patients who had died of various forms of the disease. Sandy Glass had been convinced that somewhere in these samples was a common marker, a significant tag that would suddenly reveal a unifying syndrome underlying his patients' tragic and diverse conditions. Glass had presented the project to Robin in her first year with a flourish, as if he were bestowing upon her a great gift. He'd told Robin he was convinced there was a Nobel Prize in this work, that this above all was the research he himself had hoped to do if his clinical duties had allowed. Then, having bestowed his blood collection, along with a great deal of disorganized documentation about each donor's illness and death, he'd left her to work alone. He'd chosen her for her fierce intelligence, her passion.